Welcome to the Fordham IPLJ podcast with your online editor, Anthony Zangrillo. This week, I am here with Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky School of Law, and he's here to talk about equitable resale royalties. So um, I know you wrote a paper on this. Could you give us a little bit of a background on that? Sure, yeah. So I'm, I'm still working on this paper. Uh, it's in draft form at the moment. I'll be presenting it at the uh, annual AALS conference in San Francisco in January at a, at a panel presented by the IP section on IP and uh, federalism. And uh, the paper is about retail royalties, which are uh, a kind of right created in many countries and uh, not federally in the United States, but only in a single state in California, although they've proposed here many times. And, and essentially what they are is a right given to artists who create certain kinds of artwork, typically uh, unique works of art, to claim a percentage of the sale price of the uh, sale of the artworks that they create on the secondary market. In other words, the sale of artworks after they sell them for the first time. So kind of an ongoing right to claim a percentage of presumably the increase in the value of, of artworks. And so those rights have been created in, in many European countries, especially, uh, but also many other countries around the world, and are enforced or not enforced in a variety of different ways. Uh, California created this right in the, in the 70s, uh, but recently a series of federal courts have found that the California law was unconstitutional because it was preempted by, by federal law, both under the Dormant Commerce Clause and, uh, and the Copyright Act. And so, uh, pursuant to Copyright Office recommendations to create such a right, Congress in the last couple of years has considered a number of uh, federal resale royalty rights bills. And so, my paper looks at uh, some of those proposals and asks what a equitable resale royalty rate would look like. So first, why do you think uh, many countries grant the right, but the United States as a whole has not? Well, in a way, I, I think it is a reflection of uh, different ways institutionally of thinking about intellectual copyrights, and especially uh, ways of thinking about copyright, because the resale royalty right, in a sense, is sort of a, a kind of para-copyright, as, as it were. And so in a lot of European countries, especially in France, where the resale royalty right is, is strongest, uh, there's a, a sort of a sense that the primary justification for copyright protection uh, is based in a sense of, of moral right or, mm. uh, or of equity toward, toward authors. And I think that, at least in Europe, the idea of justification for a resale royalty right grew out of that
of authorship or works of art. And and it's a little more difficult, considerably more difficult to square the resale royalty concept with that economic view of of copyright protection. Both because, you know, it has this kind of fundamentally moral quality to it. And also because we have ideas about copyright exhaustion in the United States sort of formalized in in the first sale doctrine and among other kind of ideas intrinsic in the United States property law and common law, property law more generally, that are really in tension with the idea of a kind of ongoing And I would ask when you're talking about the justification of the resale right, do you really think yeah. that it does, like it works, that it encourages more artwork, let's say in the European countries? Well, you know, I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a really tough question. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, I think the argument is made that it provides a kind of incentive. I'm not sure it's terribly convincing or, or compelling argument simply because uh, if, you know, if, if you think about it from an incentive standpoint, uh, it's really, it seems really unlikely that the prospect of a percentage share in the, in the future value of artwork that's not currently valuable is likely to provide much of a salient incentive to most marginal artists. I mean, you know, if you're if you're if you're on the margins planning whether or not to make art or not, and if you currently you know that the work you're making isn't going to have any market value, well then the, the prospect of a percentage of the value in the future is, you know, you have to discount that against the risk that it's never going to be valuable at all. Such a tiny, tiny fraction of our work is ever becomes valuable. It's just really hard to see how that could provide a meaningfully salient most people kind of on the fence at that point. And then for the people who know that the artwork that they're going to create is going to be valuable, in other words, for artists who are already successful, so they've already got plenty of incentive to create artwork in the first place. And if you know that a painting that you make is extremely likely to sell for a significant amount of money, um, you can price the future value, right, the, the likelihood of the increase in value into the initial sales price, right? So once, mm-hmm. once the, the sort of the uncertainty is gone, sort of the rationale for the resale royalty right doesn't really exist anymore. So, so I think a lot of people have kind of recognized that the, the economic case for a resale royalty right, or rather the incentive case for a resale royalty right, is kind of a tough one to make. And the the sort of justification, I think, fundamentally hinges on this sense of, of equity, which is, I, I think, why it's taken, you know, it's, it's become so much more successful in European countries like France and Germany, where they have a stronger sense of a kind of equitable intellectual property right, equitable, equitable copyright, and less so in the United States where we in theory, take a kind of more incentive-based economic view of, of copyright. So, so, so my question in this paper really was to say, look, I mean, if we think that this question of equity is important, you know, but we're looking at it from, you know, through an economic 
economic lens, the kind of the incentive-based lens that we take in the United States, what would an equitable resale royalty right look like? Right. So not mm-hmm. taking for granted that the way that it's done in Europe is necessarily equitable in the way that we would think of it, and, that, and to kind of take a fresh look at what equity ought to look like. And I noticed one of the ways that you recommended we can apply this would be through the tax code. Yeah. So, so really, I mean, I think my fundamental concern with the equity of the resale royalty right as currently implemented is that looked at in the abstract, it really seems to benefit successful artists at the direct expense of unsuccessful mm-hmm. artists. Right. So if you think of artists. You know, kind of marginal artists at, at the point of making the decision whether or not to invest their time and energy in producing art as opposed to doing something else, there's sort of there's this risk that they're all taking, right? They don't know whether or not they're going to be successful in the future. And if you look at the art market, you know, 99.9% of people who make the decision to invest their time in becoming artists are never most of them never sell works of art, or at least never sell works of art for significant amounts of money. And even worse, right, most works of art that do get sold, even works of art that do get sold for significant amounts of money, don't increase in value. Rather, they decrease in value often to basically nothing, right? So mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of people who make the decision to invest in producing works of art end up you know, basically going bust and losing value of their investment, and only a very, very tiny fraction of those people end up becoming, you know, in some cases, really scandalously wealthy. Well, it's only those people who are successful and who manage to become kind of art stars, as it were, who are ever going to benefit from the resale royalty rate. So, so really what we're doing when we create this right is to say, hey, you know, all of these people who are investing on the fund end, if you turn out to be the lottery winner, Right? We're going to give you an extra windfall. So not only are you going to benefit from being able to produce works of art that in the future are going to sell for huge amounts of money, but we're also going to give you a kind of retroactive right to claim some of the value of things that you sold when you didn't know that you were going to be successful. So you know, the natural response of our buyers in theory is going to be to discount against the risk that they're going to have to basically pay this extra tax in the future to, yes. to the artists whose whose work that they bought, and that's going to be that's going to be a discount that's borne essentially by the people who never become successful, and then that strikes me as really you know fundamentally inequitable in some sense. So, so my thought my thought was you know, if we can think about the resale royalty right as a kind of Analog of a performing rights organization like ASCAP, and 
loyalty rights organizations that artists sign on to. And then those resale loyalty rights organizations collect the resale royalties and distribute them to artists. And that's really the only way that those systems seem, seem to work well. Well, you know, if we wanted to create a resale royalty right here in the in theory, we could adopt a similar kind of model, right? But my yes. thinking is, you know, why not take advantage of the IRS, right? I mean, the, the Internal Revenue Service is already collecting information on capital gains, and it already is in a position to distribute, uh, distribute taxes through, through credits and in various, various other ways, right? So, you know, the IRS... If we wanted to create a resale royalty right here in the United States and we wanted to create an equitable one, it seems like the IRS might be a sensible way to go about doing that. And that's the interesting idea that it's really just the safety net, the way yeah, that the resale so right is proposed. Yeah, well, and that was sort of the, the move that I wanted to take there was to say, look, I mean, if what we're concerned about is equity, then we should be concerned about the who make the investments that don't succeed rather than the people who make the investment and do succeed. We should think of, or maybe we could think of, the resale royalty right as a kind of social safety net or as a kind of social insurance for you know all of those people who are making this investment in creating artworks for the benefit of, of the public and end up not so the idea behind copyright in the first place, right, is that we want to encourage people to create more sponsorship because we think that makes everyone better off. And, and one of the arguments in favor of a resale royalty right is that, you know, because artists typically sell unique works of authorship rather than copies of, you know, you know in multiple commercial works of authorship, um, that they don't really benefit from copyright protection. Yeah, I think this system would definitely be more encouraging. Like it would, it wouldn't. I don't think get rid of the starving artists, but definitely would decrease. You know, some of the stereotypes you would see with that. Exactly. I mean, I mean, you know, you could almost think of it as, as kind of an income tax credit or something, mm -hmm. right? You know, the idea is that like all of those people who are laboring in the salt mines of the art world and never enjoying the benefits, you know, will get a little bit of a subsidy. All of those people are extremely successful, right? So, I mean, the idea is, is essentially like, how do we make a resale royalty, right? Or I'm kind of characterizing more resale royalty tax <laughs> a, a little bit more progressive, right? 
This is great. Now we're uh, going into tax law on the IP podcast. Exactly. I think this is the first time. Yeah, so, I, I, do teach um, I thought it was something interesting on a policy perspective. Uh, you were mentioning in your paper a little bit in the beginning that it is an incoherent argument that artists sell unique objects. And that you could go right, into that a little right, bit. Right. So the 
that, in a sense, artists make by engaging in a particular market that arguably offers them benefits that they wouldn't get in, in any other context. And frankly, you know, there's a significant number of, I think, popular artists, right? people in the art world would think of them as such, but popular artists who actually make a killing selling yes. artwork in, in multiples, right? You've got your Nagels, you've got your Peter Maxes, you've got your... Um, say like as the final question we have a new administration coming in do you think this Uh is on their agenda or something that could be done within the next let's say couple of years well you know far be it from me to don't worry about you don't have to don't think so. He's a little too obsessed with the uh, Net Neutrality Act at the time, I think. <laughs> so. Yes. So thank you very much, Brian, for uh, speaking with us about this topic. And uh, everyone, all of our listeners, look out for a lot of different blog posts in the new year. I know we took a little bit of a break during the holidays. Uh, Thank you very much.